Listen to the story I was once told by the old grave digger of the region. There was a lover who by ungodly luck had a sweet beloved taken by death. Every night he went to the cemetery to visit the tomb of his sweet beloved. The townspeople whispered full of mystery. He was a dead man who escaped the pit. On a horrendous night, he shattered to pieces the abandoned marble tomb. He dug the earth and carried in his arms the rigid skeleton of his beloved. And there in the sad and gloomy room, he mourned to a feeble flame. He sat beside her cold and rigid bones and celebrated his wedding with his dead beloved. Tied her bare bones with ribbons, the rigid skulls he crowned with flowers, covering her horrible mouth with kisses, and he told her all about his love with a smile. He took his bride to the soft wedding bed, he lay next to her in love, and he fell asleep, never again awakened, while he embraced the rigid skeleton. And then I'm talking. <laughs> no, but wait, wait! I have something for him. Boom! You get shot down. Now you just fucking me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just wondering why all these people like kids. The Weird History and Eerie Tales podcast. Concentrate on the news. It's what we do. Wow. <laughs> FY, there's nothing wrong with like three, two, one. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Weird. History and Eerie Tells Podcast. To my left, we have Moses. As always, gang gang. And to my right, we have a special guest. He came on on other episodes, mainly the roundtables. The one and only, Rene. Gucci gang, Gucci gang. No, oh my gosh, Gucci <laughs> gang. And today we have a very uh, special episode for Valentine's Day. Well, well, first of all, happy Valentine's Day. Yes. Happy yes. Valentine's Day. And also... um. Archie's not here. <laughs> yeah, as you can... Archie's not, Archie's not going to be with us for this three-part series because if, if you guys don't know already, he is a music teacher and he has concerts he has to take care of and he during the weekends, I think he's, he's going out of town for some sort of conference. Yeah. So instead of him coming in and out of these three episodes, we're like, you know what? Take your time. Take your time. Take your break. Yeah. Focus on that and then we'll talk about this old white guy yeah yeah as you guys are gonna find out yeah i mean because he is ahead of the program of that music so he has a lot of a lot of responsibilities so shout out to archie you son of a bitch but i have a question for you all right what does this mean to you all love after death what is your take on on that saying what the first thing comes to mind how do you cherish love after death i'm super jaded because of the music, because of the music I listen to, which is strictly death and black metal, 
So when bands usually talk about uh, love after death, they usually mean necrophilia. Hmm. Literally fucking. Literally fucking after hmm. death. Okay. That's Re- the first thing that comes to mind. Carcass. Carcass don't talk about it, but for whatever reason, Carcass always comes to mind when that phrase, love after death. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why. I have a flag of Carcass <laughs> literally right behind me, but I don't know why the fuck Carcass but the band comes out. It comes up when I hear that phrase. But every time I hear love after death, that's the first thing my fucking warped mind goes to. Necrophilia. Yeah. Oh, no, necrophilia. To me, it's just love is eternal. Okay. Crickets. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> or you got to explain that. Like, like what? No, like, like, what makes it eternal? No, like, it never dies. Basically. Never dies. It never dies. But, like, the saying, love after yeah. death. Like, how do you cherish <laughs> love after death? Like, let's say. Uh, yeah, how, how do you love someone after they've died? Um, to me, I'm yeah. guessing they never they never leave your heart. Yeah. Some so picking, like memories, yeah. pictures. You always yeah. just have that. But okay, as you guys would, yeah. This this is it takes it to another level. Like yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, this guy, uh, he takes it like you said to another level, a more uh, divine love. As um, later on into the episode, well, uh, as as he described it. Um, and it's it's pretty controversy on this topic. Yeah, There's so, two sides to it. So, all right. so so for those of you that do not know, we're just gonna go out and say just see, go go ahead and expect what the series is about. Uh, this this episode is about a German doctor named Carl Tanzler, who uh, we're gonna find out it falls falls in love with this Cuban girl. Um, long story short, she ends up dying. Um, obviously, I'm skipping a lot of more of a lot of important. Parts uh, parts of the lore, but that's what these three episodes are going to be about. Basically, he falls in love with a girl. He f- stays in love with her. So what he ends up doing, he ends up taking her out of the grave and lives with the body for over seven years. And he keeps the body alive. He cleans it. He bathes it. He sinks to it. He has sex with it for seven years after her death. So necrophilia, basically. Yeah, literally. And this is the and this is the three part. This is going to be a three part series on Carl Tanzler, this German doctor. Who coincidentally, and I mean not coincidentally, but I learned about Carl Tanzler from my favorite band, The Black Dollar Murder. Mm. One mm. of my favorite songs of The Black Dollar Murder is called Death Mask Divine, and it's about Carl Tanzler. So that's how I found out about it back in 2005. Which is crazy, because now that, that I've read into this story, I know more details about it. I know what, because he, he, he created, I mean... I don't know if this is an important detail, the, the video of how he created literally the death mask. mask of his beloved wife or lover. And then divine, death math, mask, divine. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that makes total fucking sense. And now I have a great um, Trevor, Trevor's allergic to intel on this. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, that's how we got this uh, topic to be rolling uh, tonight. So and, it, and it's fitting because it's Valentine's Day. So like, what, yeah. better, what better way to talk it's about? It's pure love. For sub and um, for this series we have two books that we're gonna use as the sources. The book I'm using is called Undying Love, which is by Ben Harrison, which is basically just the story of Carl Tanzler. And my brother, he has a more interesting book. Yeah, so this is a uh, Haunted Key West presents the Lost Diary of Count Von Castle, a true twisted tale of love after death. Introduction by David L. Sloan. This is literally. His diary, his version, his take on his situation. A lot of people spread rumors, stuff like that. And later on, he he, you know what? 
I'm gonna write down. Uh, I, people have a lot of questions, so I'm gonna answer it by writing down his version and his take on that process of love after death, which is immediately you'll get hooked into this book. And then um, one of the things is uh, I was telling my brother like right before we began, because he learned of the story in deftly through the words of Carl Tanzler. There's this romanticization that my, that he, that Carl has to his whole story. So my so there are times where me and my brother are talking about certain scenes. My brother's like, dude, my eyes were watery the way he describes it, and he's talking about scenes because he's very poetic. He talks. He really he loves her. He loves Elena. Yeah. So he talks to her like he really does love her. I learned about the story through just like regular means, not through his words. So there's this so there's this wall of separation between me, me like me and my brother where I look everything Carl everything Carl's doing is just some serial killer shit to me. Like it's just some serial like some weird warped it's in the realm of like morbid serial it's like it's in that world. You don't see it you lean more onto the onto the, onto the more where he's like he's like this weird this weirdo who really did love this chick and he just took it a little too far. Yeah, but right? yeah, but you see, I heard about it differently. Like I didn't even read his diary, and I kind I was like fifty fifty on it. I was like he is kind of like a creep, but at the same time, it's like it's he was in love. Basically, the book that Moses like that the one you talked about, right? Yeah, I'm dying love. It's kind of like it makes you, it makes him seem like a. It just like it, it just tells yeah, a story. Right. There's no there's no romanticization of it. There's no it's just telling the story of Carl. But when Carl tells a story, you you feel it. You feel it. And it's I mean, going I mean, we'll get into it later on, but the way he describes it, again, going back to that divine love. There's a reason why he says divine. Um he's a man of science, right? I'll leave it at that. And so he's a grade one thinker. That means he's someone that dedicates his life only into like academics, um, knowledge. Yeah, you were you were telling me this the other day. You were breaking you were breaking this down to me. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. go ahead and break it down. So I don't know if you're gonna do. No. Are you gonna, okay, okay, cool. So this guy again, um, it's something called different levels of 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 thinking, right? Grade level um, three is like your average like norm. People who who don't really focus in. In academics, someone who's just always like talking, us. yeah, yeah, us. And then you have your grade level two thinkers who are more aware, but they're not really doing anything to to pursue to uh, to elevate that that level of thinking. And then you have your grade one thinkers, which are like your one percenters, which are like your Albert Einstein, these iconic chemists, science, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he was one of those. Right? He was a yeah. man of science strictly, and he says himself, like in his own words, he's like, "I really don't see myself with women unless it's just formality." Right? I'm walking he through respect the room. There's a lady. Good evening, ma'am. Whatever. Blah blah blah. So that's something. It's like, okay, he's strict. Like someone who's like that is, is it, strictly. Well, let me ask um, you this: Is a great yeah. one thinker? Is it just for academia, or oh, can, just 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 in general? Yeah. Or, <laughs> so like, I mean, that's what it usually leads to. Great one thinkers are someone who's like the way you were just, like the way yeah. you were describing it, and then I just want to not dumb it down, but like put it put it into like a more fitting picture because he's a more famous figure, um, the late great Kobe Bryant, right? All yeah. he thought about was basketball. Yeah, he thought about it to the most. Ex- uh, would he fall under that great that, that grade one thinker just because he thought about everything that was that came with basketball? Yeah. Um, honestly, I, I can't really say, oh, okay. right. I can't really say, oh, well, yeah, he is. 
Um, I mean, he did leave an impact in that category of basketball and even beyond basketball. They can remember when um, he was playing basketball. He's like, I don't give a shit about making friends. I just want to. I just want to win. Yeah, yeah. But that's. Uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, you can kind of compare that if we're talking about like just strictly focusing on something. Yeah. Mm. But um, yeah. I mean, he truly loved basketball. But that's who. Uh, that's who Carl Von Kossel was. A man who was like, you know what? Love is nothing but something small residue that I'm not going to deal with. And then he had these experience, and then it's just a quick 180. And like I stated earlier, there's two sides to it. We have people who are like, this dude's a fucking maniac. How would he just, you know, be, you know, a grave robber, a fucking yeah. necrophiliac and all this stuff. And then you have the other sides, people who, who sympathize for his, what they call it, a pure love. And it's crazy. You're you're married. Yes. Obviously. Yeah. Right? Congratulations again. Thank you. Uh, and, and usually when you marry someone, that's 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 the one. Yeah. Right? That's your true love. And most people who never experienced that will like bicker you, be like, ah, true love, whatever, and they don't believe it. But yeah. you don't care because that's your woman, right? You love her. You laugh at other people because you know what you guys have. And that's Carl. Right? And that's Carl with to the most morbid, <laughs> to the most morbid degree. Yeah. Well, morbid or to another level of love. Yes. What he calls Divine love. divine love and that's something we never experienced and we'll get more into detail of the apparition that appeared his vision again this is a man science who was skeptical and all that until something happened and he just it changed i mean he's still a man of science but yeah 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 that's crazy and like right now like i didn't put two and two together until now you're just breaking it down where he is a man of science who has this newfound belief in the ethereal which yeah. is like two schools of thoughts that are not that are usually either A or B. You can't at the end of the spectrum. And he's like not 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 in the middle, but he's on both ends of the extreme. Where he's like this mathematician who only believes what he sees. Chemist, the hump, yeah. And because of that, he's able to say like, no, I what I saw, I believe because I, I saw it. Yeah. So it's like this weird. It's crazy. Which is extremely bizarre. So uh. Why don't we just dive right into it, shall we? All right, guys. So sit down. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Um, now we're going to start talking about Carl. So Carl Tanzler, his, his, so his full name is Count Carl Tanzler von Kesel, And he left Germany in 1926 and sailed across the Atlantic Ocean to the United States, leaving behind his young wife, Doris, and two beautiful daughters behind. He was coming to join his sister in Florida and begin a new life. So the plan was for his family to follow him once he was settled in and able to provide for them. So on February 26th of that year, he started his voyage. Remember that date, guys, February 26th. Because me and my brother kept talking, there's a lot of things that we would call coincidence that Carl's like, nope, this is, this is divinity. Yeah, there's a lot of coincidences that I I call coincidences. Carl's like, no, 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 this is because it's meant to be. So remember that date, February 26th, all right? So on February 26th of that year, he started his voyage and left Rotterdam for Cuba, where he would take the 90 mile voyage to Key West, and then he was going to travel the last 400 miles into inland Florida. So at this point in his life, he had no idea he was embarking towards 
what I call vile infamy. Mm. Me and my brother we're we're different schools of thoughts, but like that's that's what he's living. <laughs> like when you when you think of Carl Tanzler, you think of he's infamous yeah. because yeah. of the vile shit he did. Not, not no, it's not. It's just true. No, but yeah, yeah. the reasoning behind it is it, not evil or like morbid. It's just the shit he ended up doing. You know, fucking the dead body. You know what I mean? <laughs> Taking it out of the grave. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Right. He was literally fucking dead body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not wrong. You're not wrong there. So he had no idea he was taking his first steps into leaving behind his real wife and family and steal a dead woman from a crypt. But reading his memoirs, which my brother plugged the book earlier, a little earlier, you could tell something happened on his ferry to Cuba. He landed in Cuba, a changed and un- it changed an invigorated man, one ready to start a new life. Whether or not this was the plan all along is lost, but this is what he had to say when he first set into Cuba. I, being a bachelor, I landed in Old Havana during the time of the carnival when everyone was intoxicated with the carnival spirit. I had never seen anything like it. Originally, my plans had been to leave to Key West the very next morning. But as it was, I stayed four days, not to amuse myself, but held to the spot by someone's strange, uh, irrational hope that I could find my lost bride in this carnival crowd. This was probably because there were so many beautiful ladies of a Spanish type who somehow resembled her, and because in this carnival time, so many of them wore veils and fairy-like dresses, it made them all similar. I spent many hours on the promenade, but looking everywhere and always expected of midnight when the veils of all those beautiful girls fell, I never met with my loved one. On March 1st, 1926, I made up my mind that she was not among the ladies of the carnival and that I would seek my relatives in Florida, drawn by some mysterious force. So this is where you guys are starting to get an inclination that there is... Uh, something in the background that's guiding Carl. We're gonna get to that. Uh, we're gonna get to that a little later in the show. But this is an important. This is a very important key that we're gonna find out later on about him showing up to Cuba. He just showed up to Cuba. I'm just gonna go. He's like, all right. I show up to Cuba, and from here, the next morning, I'm gonna fuck off and go to Key West. But something made him stay at Cuba for four days, and we're gonna find out what that is later on in the episode. So Carl's first impression of Key West, you know, it wasn't a particular positive one. No, I was just going to say, like, I wonder what his wife was thinking at the time. Like, well, not, not at the time, but like, like after, like, she found all this out. Well, does it, does it even like. That's mention? the thing. We're, I mean, we're going to find out a little later, but eventually he disowns his family. He starts, stops talking to them. Yeah. He, he, he just, when he, when he finds Elena, uh, as we're going to find out later on, that's all he cares about. He told he told his family fuck off, and we never hear from them again for the rest of the, for the rest of his story. We don't hear from, so we don't even know if they know about Carl, which was weird because in the preface of of the Lost Diary of Count Wells, uh, he never stated he had a family. Because I, I right didn't even bat, know he had a family. Like right off the bat, he just stated like there was nothing mentioned about his family, which is crazy. There are little things where he meant where he mentions them, but he doesn't mention them by name or mentions them. Like we're gonna get we're gonna get to it a little later. But one of the only times he references his family was when he says, "I once belonged to another one." That's how he references his family. Hmm. 
I once belonged to another one. Like, so, at, like, to answer your point, at this point, like, um, this is right after the war, right after World War One. Yeah. Germany is shot. He's like, I need, to, I, I need to fuck off. So he fucks off to build a better life for his family. So they're just in Germany, just chilling for for this time. He doesn't. They don't know anything. He does. He he's just. Um, I think um, we're gonna find out later on that he knew all along what he was doing. This going out searching for his wife, disguising it as a. I'm going to try to build a better life for all of us. Hoping that while he's out there looking to build a better life, he finds his, his he finds his wife. Because he that's what he tells his family. And we're going to find out a little later. He, he, he writes to them and he, and he does that. But in the back of his head, at this point, he already knew the premonitions had happened. We're going to talk about that a little later. Everything was already running in motion. So at this point, he knew what was going on, but he wasn't alluding to it to anybody. So it was either... He was hiding the fact that he was out looking for a secret wife from heaven. Yeah, because that's or, what I got from this. Or, or, or he just didn't believe it, and it was in the back of the head, and it wasn't. You got to Cuba, that he's like, you know what? I do remember when I, you know, like maybe. So I don't know if it, if if it when he got to Cuba, that's when he's like, you know what? Maybe this, the premonition is true. Okay, so you're not gonna go into that. No, yeah, yeah, little later, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. because he had because there was multiple. Um, visits that he had of that apparition. Yeah, but I, and that's the reason. Uh, it, it just to make things more, more, um, more out there is that 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 thing drawn by some mysterious force. I'll talk about that later on. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's key. So he kind of knew what he was doing, but not really. He just knew there was this urge of him to head out to those locations where he actually ended up. So oh, let's okay. carry on. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So. Carl's first impression of Key West, it wasn't in particular positive one. But because he didn't find his dream love in Cuba, he wasn't disappointed in Key West. He just wasn't impressed. The Key West that Carl landed on was roughly two miles by two miles, which is a, which is pretty it's a small little town. I'm pretty sure it's a little bigger than Linwood. Is Linwood two miles by two miles? Don't know. Don't know. You're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> From MLK to Rosecrans, is that a mile? I'm gonna say sure. I'm gonna say sure. So Key West is a small little town. Key West is a small little island town. It's off the coast of Florida. It still belongs to Florida. Yeah. It's just a you know little island towns. And um, so the woods from those homes they were built really close together, and for multiple reasons. So he starts to paint this picture of how Key West looks, and all these houses are the first, they're either one or two stories high, but they're all really bunched up together, and there's you know multiple reasons for it. First, everyone, they all wanted beachfront property. Hmm. And when they first landed in Key West, so they built as many houses as close as possible to fit as many people as possible. It was also believed that the close-knit homes would shelter each other in a violent storm. They're like, if we put our homes together, maybe when the waves hit, we won't be all... No, it's t- tighter front, you know what I mean? Yeah. And lastly, which is most likely the case, it was because of the cigar industry that flourishes in Cuba. Housing was needed for the employees, so the owners built... A lot of inexpensive homes, small homes, and put them really close together. Mm. I know. I, I could just imagine like you're taking a shit and like, the, like your neighbors looking at you, like, <laughs> just fucking like, death fuck. stare. Just well, the thing is, these houses they're smaller than this den. Cut the den in half. It was. It's just a oh, house. Shit. Just, it's just a room. It's just a room. It's basically <laughs> just like a, a garage, you know, where people lived. 
So, this is kind of hilarious. Because a telegram had failed to reach his relatives, there was no one to greet Carl when he cleared customs in Cuba. So, he got to Cuba. Yeah. So, he was in Austria. Then, after the war, he went back to Germany. He went to Germany to visit his mom and sister. He had another sister that married an American. They, she fucked off. Right? But since after the war, Germany literally went to shit. So, his mom was like, hey, you have... Go to your sister. That sister that married the American lived in Florida. So uh, so he was like, you know what? All right, I'll take my journey to Florida. But I want to stop by Cuba. Well, it's because Cuba was... Uh, uh... Yeah. <coughs> so he said, I'm going to be at Cuba. And then he had that that weird feeling that he was going to you know, find Elena, quote unquote, yeah. there in Cuba. He didn't. But that urge was still strong to go to Florida. So he went to Florida. And he sent that telegraph, um, that telegram to his sister. Apparently, she never received it. And in the book, he said he walked. I mean, I don't know yeah, right yeah, here. I'm sitting right here. Oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> this is fucking crazy. Go, go, go. It's <laughs> fucked up. It's fucked up. So, <laughs> so he gets to Cuba. No one's there to pick him up. He stays a long-ass time in, you know, in customs trying to clear everything. <clears throat> so after he gets out of the customs, he realizes he missed the last train to go to Key West. So what does fucking Carl do? He decides to walk around Key West for a little bit and says, fuck it. And decided to walk the 12 miles along the railroad, along the railroad tracks under a full moon. So he walked the 12 miles over to his destination. And after a few rides and ferries, he arrived in Zephyr Hills, close to Tampa, to join his, his sister. And once he arrived, he sent a watercolor painting to tell his wife that he had arrived. And he and the and the painting also said happy birthday, and at the back of the painting he wrote a little note, and he said and it that that saying he wrote rings true to this day. It's a different world in Florida, and it's true. Florida <laughs> is a shit show in terms of like it's a fuck. It's its own Florida. It's its own universe. So much crazy shit happens in Florida. Carl noticed it <laughs> way back in the day, and then now and then now that I think about it, I'm not surprised it should happen in Florida. He uh he stated it perfectly. It's a different world in Florida. <laughs> oh shit. So Carl's wife and children, they arrived a year later in 1927. But the reunion was cut short. No one knows if it was just a domestic argument or what. But Carl, he walked out and left them for good. And this is one of the last times we hear of his family. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird cuz in this version, his version in his words he didn't mention that. So he doesn't mention it at all in his... It, it makes sense of, like, if, if he really disowned his family, it makes sense that there's no reason for him to mention in his diary. But um, who knows? But what if, what if it was cut? Like, they wanted just to put... the. It's not his whole diary, like... Yeah, but, yeah, that, you, but that would be an odd thing to cut out, his family. <laughs> because they did edit it because of, of the way he wrote. Yeah. It, it was different, so they did some editing to 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 make it relevant uh, for us to read. But I mean, cutting that out is a big fucking deal, you know. It's not like, just editing. Yeah, like there's no, words. There's no stuff. reason to cut out his family. Yeah. And plus, yeah. even then, he never mentioned his family to anybody. So even if he even if it was cut out there in real life, he never mentioned his family to anybody. <clears throat> it sucks because I would like to hear like the his kid's side of the story. Like that's interesting. Like to, mm, to, to like, hear what. You know, like what do what they, they think, think about? Yeah, I mean, I mean, most 
mean, I know people who, 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 who fathers walked away out of their life, whatever. And so they literally don't give a fuck about their father. No, 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 not not on that point. I'm just saying, like, what do they think about, like, and your dad fucks dead yeah. bodies? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, well, first of all, he's not my dad, and yeah, he's a necrophiliac. I'm pretty sure the son's gonna be like, yeah, he's gonna take the other, that that vile, yeah. uh, 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 a thought of <laughs> of his father. If he wants, do, do they to even know who? Like, yeah, like, pretty sure. Oh. Well, I mean, I don't. No one knows. This is the last time we hear of his family. We don't know if they stayed in Florida. We don't know if they moved back to Germany. No, but you're saying if they know who? No, who, no, 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 no. I'm. I'm that, what he was oh, saying. Oh, that's like, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, 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 okay. Yeah. So at this point, he he says, "I'm leaving the family." Yeah. So Carl, he was 50 years old when all this happened, and he was an imaginative, impractical inventor, as we're gonna find out scientist he was this electrical wizard and at some points an ingenious liar during his first years in florida tansler he americanized his name by spelling his name carl with a c instead of a k so for the longest time his carl was spelled with a k and he americanized it instead of spelling it with a c and he also bought some land for him to build a foundation for him to build a home the Florida boom, however, was quickly followed by a crash, and it became necessary for me to earn a living as a specialist. The Marine Hospital at Key West employed me as a pathologist and an x-ray specialist. I built up a fairly well-equipped x-ray department and peace of mind in scientific work until that fateful day of April 22, 1930. So a woman who worked with him at the hospital, she described him kind of as a bum. She said destitute, but we know what the fuck she meant. She was just like this raggedy dude. Bummy-ass motherfucker. And he kind of was. We're going to find out. It looked like he stank. Nah, he didn't. If you you guys want, go to our Instagram right now, at the Weird History Irritals Pod, and I posted up a picture of poor Carl. Let me know if you think he looks like he stinks. I don't think he looks like he stinks. I think he smells like cigars and coffee. So she also said that he was willing to take any job in the beginning. When he first when he first showed up to the hospital, he was willing to do anything and everything. He was an attendant who cleaned up after procedures. And eventually, eventually, this still blows my mind when I still read it. He persuaded his superior, Dr. Lombard, into making him an x-ray technician. You need to go to school for this. You need a degree, right? You need to do a bunch of shit to be an x-ray technician, to draw blood, to do a bunch of shit. You just can't be like, hey, I seen him do it. Let me try. (laughs) You don't don't do that. Yeah, see. see, I got this. (laughs) No, see, but that's how smart and uh, genius he he was when he was going to school and all that. Every category, whether it's uh, chemistry or whatever the fuck it was, he just perfected. And I'm pretty sure throughout that route, he knew his shit. But the fact that he was able to do it without a degree, like, like even you could be the best surgeon in the world, but if you can't prove it with degrees or school, no one's going to let you operate on anybody. Nowadays, no. But, but maybe back the, then, it's back true. then, he's like, fuck it, let me give you a pop quiz. Do ace things. Oh, shit, he knows his shit. He knows better than me. And also, we're talking about Florida here. Yeah, well, again, <laughs> it's, it's a what? It's a different world it's in a- Florida. Mm. So, as far, so as far as Carl's early life, the only thing we know is what he tells us in his memoirs. And he romanticizes the living shit out of his childhood. Like my brother's gonna, my brother's gonna read right now. Yeah, and he 
truly does. And this is what he says. I was born January 12, 1877 in Dretzen, Germany, in a townhouse of our family called the castle. But there was another castle, the Via Coso, out in the country, and it was there I grew up. This latter manor had the reputation of being a haunted house and the white woman, who my mother assured me appeared from time to time during the past two centuries, who died in 1765. Hers is quite a romantic history and the beginning of my relationship to Elena. As a young boy, I had no interest in the family tree and the existence of a ghost in the manor was never mentioned to me. True enough, at the age of 12, I had a dream, or rather a vision, of a beautiful girl in a white dress reclining on a vintage sofa. My boyish interests were entirely concentrated on electricity, on chemical experience, and on flying machines. While in high school, I was fascinated with the Valkyries and I built myself a glider plane, which I tested from a hill in the park. By the time I went to college, I had established a big laboratory for high voltage electricity. I had no interest outside of science, music, and paintings. Girls did not exist for me. I took at the age of 24 my final degrees as a Master of Arts in Medicine, in Philosophy, mathematics and physics having passed nine different examination <laughs> funny story going back to uh uh how he tested that that little plane right on the hill park That's he funny. did it at his ser- not servants i think it was his servants his or his servants, neighbors they saw him they saw him keep on fucking up like he was eating shit and he was so embarrassed he's like fuck i gotta change my my schedule so which is fucking hilarious i'm like oh poor dude so if you take carl for his word he sounds like a fucking genius mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a young genius however most of his writings and his memoirs are peppered with exaggerations sometimes even flat out lies part truth and part story just remember his memoirs are written by a man whose obsessive love for his Elena kind of warped his sense of reality. And I was telling my brother, uh, there are times where he's describing certain things and time timelines don't really match on the things he's talking about, where he's like, I did this, 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 this. But like, he's like, we're going to find out he's, he travels a lot. So that like, how are you, how, how are you, uh, how are you in Austria being a doctor while you're still taking exams at the age of 24, but the year you mentioned it, you were actually like, so that, so it's either he's lying or just kind of forgets and just bunches a bunch of things all together. Cause the things about his memoirs is he did, these aren't written day by day. No, this is uh, at, that, at the age of 64. He, 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 wrote, he wrote everything at uh, the later ages. Yeah. So it's easy for him to find, for him to kind of romanticize his, his youth. Cause he's like, because he's happy at the end. He's happy. And he, he talks like he's happy. So it's easy for him to romanticize the way his the way his life came out to be. Because it ended up with him meeting his wife and, and doing a bunch of, you know, dealing with everything he dealt with. Mm-hmm. See, at the beginning, I was I was team Josh. But like now it's like sliding over to <laughs> to team Moses. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, 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 right, so we're going to so, see. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll camp at, at the end, like I'm going to see if I'm and like obviously the, the viewers should. Like the listeners should like 
are you team Josh or team? No, you should be not. You should be team me. No, 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 no. But I'm, I'm saying like at the end, like <laughs> yeah, you team agree? me. But like they should read the book so they can know. Like, look, I'm not what? saying it was cool of him fucking. You know, <laughs> I, I, like it seems that like you motherfuckers make it seem like, hey, hey, I think Josh is a little fucking necrophiliac himself. No, that's what I'm not trying. I'm not saying that. All right, motherfucker. But. I don't blame you. I don't blame you, right? Well, most of average sane people be like, yeah, he's fucking sane. But if you read, like, I was like, when you first told me about it, I was like, dude, this dude's fucking sane. You read the book, like you said, read this book. It would immediately catch your attention, and you will feel how he felt. Yeah, because he knows how to but, write. He knows no, no, how to no, write. No, 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 he doesn't. He doesn't. He's, I mean, I don't know if he's lying, but in this book, right off the bat, he's like, I am no poet. I am not a writer. But he, but someone but was he writing wrote, himself. Yeah. See, 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 but here's the thing. It's so pure because it's real to him. Yeah. It's it's real. It's real pure love to him, and he has a lot of passion for it, which makes it even better because the way he he describes it, although it's not very like very big terms or whatever, but like you feel what he says, and what we're gonna read it really got my eyes watery for that. Yeah, and that was the first text my brother sent me. And I'm like, hey, read the book. This is this is going to be what you're going to be covering. His writings. Like, Alright, cool. I'm going to read it at, I'm gonna read it at school. So during the day, he just texted me like, dude, I was reading this and my eyes kind of got watery. I was like, dude, it's, that's, that's yeah. how the story is. Because like how the script is and all that, it skipped a lot of the, I mean, I'm pretty sure you're gonna, we might go into it what? later on. Like the other prom, um, premonitions and, yeah, yeah. and his upgoing from Austria Oh, to Germany and stuff like that, and, and the way he meets her, yeah, really, really, really got me like, oh Resonates. shit, yeah, my my eyes are like, oh my god, this is this is insane. So it was during his youth where he was where he was buried dick deep in books. How deep? Dick, dick deep. Dick deep. Dick deep. How, that's how, how big is the dick though? <laughs> deep, deep. <laughs> All right, like if you guys, if you guys haven't noticed, we're seventy episodes in. I use dick as a measuring as a tool of measurements. When I say a lot of how much, it's 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 a like this dude's dick deep. It's a dick amount. So or I say a lot too when I can't see anything. Right? If if I'm playing games, <coughs> it's nine time. Like, dude, I can't see dick. <laughs> and I said that IRL in real life. In real life. To at my college, and he looked at me like, what? I was like, yeah, you can't see. Ah, this is awkward. They don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> I was like, just it's, it's an move, on, just move on. <laughs> I was like, just move on. Like, there's no way. <laughs> like, it's it's actually, it's, yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to be dick deep into this. Yeah, so yeah, literally, you gotta be dick so deep. It, into this. So it was during his youth where he was dick deep in his books. <laughs> he was going. He was read like like my brother read. He was into science, music, paintings, girls did not exist. It was during at this point in his life where he had his angelic visitor, the apparition of his bride-to-be. And according to Carl, his first meeting with Elena took place 10 years before she was even fucking born. He saw Elena before she was a fucking, before she was born. And and this is a crazy part, and this is where it's like, holy shit! Now you will slowly understand why he he calls it a divine love, and this is why. And this is his first encounter with the apparition. I was sitting in my chair in the green room, 
piled on the large table were writing materials from the college, books and laboratory instruments. All doors were locked leading to and from the green room. The hour was late, about 11 I would say. I felt tired by the day's work was not yet finished. Suddenly without looking up from my papers, I noticed a movement near my side. It was a pencil lying on the table. It moved slowly half across the table. I paid little attention to it and then it lifted itself off of the table, performing some somersaults in the air and down to the floor. Then the entire oaken table with the papers in my immediate reach lifted itself off the floor and floated upward as if carried by water. I was not frightened or anything like that. I still believed it was some kind of prank or maybe that there was a thief or prowler in the house. I was mysteriously awakened at around 2 a.m. I hardly believed my eyes. They were standing by my bed, two women. One bending over my face, a tall lady with snow white hair, striking liking to the portrait of Countess Anna, which I remembered so well. The second figure kept behind her until the Countess held the reluctant younger lady by the hand, bending still lower at me. The Countess and Anna addressed me as follows. I've been trying to get your attention for quite some time, my boy, but you wouldn't take note. You were too much engrossed in your experiments. That's why I had to use some violence. Here, Carl, I have brought you the bride whom someday you will meet. I tried to answer something, but I cannot speak. Then for a brief moment, the veil parted from the shrouded figure's face. I saw, framed in long, dark black hair, a young girl's face so beautiful that I can't attempt to describe it. Strange as this may seem, I was in no way overexcited. I just noted the time on my clock and then fell back sound asleep. This, this is crazy. Yeah. Bro, if I wake up in the middle of the fucking night and there's this lady bending over me whose face is touching my face, I will fucking freak the fuck out. But he didn't. He just looked at her like, okay, why? what, what are you doing? What are you doing in my house? <coughs> and that scene of him describing in that green room, all that stuff, he goes more into detail in here. And... Like for us, if that shit happened, we'll be freaked the fuck out. Yeah, be like, what the fuck? This guy didn't freak out. He was he literally just took a step back. Like once the table lifted, he took a step back. Not because he was scared. He was like, because that table is over two hundred fucking pounds, right? I don't want to be crushed by it. And he takes out his notepad or or his his fucking his notes, whatever, and he starts jotting everything down like a man of science. He tried <laughs> to figure out, like, okay, I wonder how. This is happening. Like, like, like he wasn't even thinking, like, oh, shit, uh, you know, I'm going to get fucking possessed or I'm going to get. The, the mere thought of it being a ghost didn't even enter his mind. He's like, this is moving. Why is this moving? And he's trying to figure out. And the way he describes it, like, I mentioned a little bit here where he's like, the table is moving like water. Like, he's trying to, he's trying to, like, he's trying to put reasons to it. Like, it's moving. It's moving like water. Why is it moving like water? Is it wet in here? Like, that's the that's the shit he's he's trying to break down. He's not scared. He's not thinking of ghosts. He's trying to figure out what is going on. But what if he was scared and he, his eyes were tearing up 
and you could see that water. He was not scared, bro. <clears throat> didn't phase him. Didn't phase him. <laughs> <laughs> didn't phase him. What if it was an earthquake? Like he didn't feel it. It was just like the table was moving. Like no, it lifted. Mm. Renee, I'm about to slap you. <laughs> just it lifted. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm thinking that, uh, like, you know, like trying to think of explanations to, like, why is this doing, like, well, if he can do it like, and he's a man of fucking science, what makes you think you're going to explain that shit? True that. True that. <laughs> you weren't there, motherfucker. He's like, touche. He was. He's like, touche. But not only that, it's it's crazy to, like, he said, like, he said himself, oh, it was probably a prank or a fucking like what type of fucking prank who's gonna lift a 200 pound 200 pound fucking table and what thief was picking up the table <laughs> yeah and not taking anything and a prowler who the fuck anyway. I don't know but the thing that but the thing that kind of makes you not like the thing that trips me out about this whole scene how everything is the way everything ends how he wasn't scared no, he's he like, he's shot like, it down the time. He just like, oh, this should happen. Like this ghost, this ghost lady, the one who looks like the lady who's haunting my house. She brings this brown lady who's fucking really beautiful. Says that I'm gonna marry her, and then disappear. And I'm and the first, the only thing he does is like, what time is it? Two thirty. All right, and he goes back to sleep. So this lady, this haunting was her, her, her great, 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 great aunt. This, this so, so this Countess Anna. That's the one I mentioned <laughs> earlier. That's her aunt. Also, that's no that's her wonder he wasn't scared. No, that's even you wouldn't be scared of on that lived fucking four hundred years ago, the one that's been haunting your house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. True that. He didn't know her, but no, I thought like he knew her. Like no, no, like no. He just, just oh, okay. So he like he like he literally didn't know who could. Oh, okay. This was in seventeen sixty something. Um, like it's literally in documents that she was supposed to marry a a young king back in the days. Some shit happened. Jealousy happened with another lady. They imprisoned her. Whatever, and she was. Just put away for the rest of her life, but she got into alchemy. She was uh she was into all that stuff, hey. and that's where like he says he got his 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 urge his of thirst for yeah, knowledge, thirst for knowledge and stuff. And he respected his aunt his aunt a lot. And that white lady or that lady in the white dress is his aunt, Countess Anna. Oh, okay. Countess Anna. And so I should really read this book because I didn't. I didn't yeah, know. yeah, read it, and that's why, like he, that's why he takes it so into heart, because it wasn't just some random fucking ghost. It was his aunt who told him, "Hey, I'm. I, I've been trying to contact you, and 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 and." She's like, hey, stupid! Lift your head <laughs> off the fucking book. Look at me. She's like, I have to fucking move the room around. And do you go back? Do you talk more about his his, his aunt? No, no right. And the most, like, after this happened, he went back to where where uh, uh, his aunt got in prison, stuff like that. And he went into the chamber or whatever. And he picked up um, this vine and pebbles and skeleton that he picked up and found. He assumed it was his aunt. He took it back to his his house, his green room, whatever. And he planted it under his window of, of whatever. So, so like, he, it, it's, it's, yeah. it's very, very Coaster, sacred to yeah. him. His his story of his aunt. That's why, like, he, so he's he very. He basically brought her in. No wonder this guy's haunted. Oh. No, 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 no. This no, happened no. after. This happened after. Oh, okay, okay. Happened yeah. After. yeah. So when he became of age, he went on a world tour, went from continent to continent in search of his bride. <coughs> so going more to detail, let's backtrack a bit about that um, apparition that that scene. So this is what she says, right? 
She's I've been trying to come uh, I've, I've been trying to track your attention for quite some time, my boy, but you wouldn't take note. You were too much engrossed in your experiments. That's why I had to use some violence. Now take warning. Do not entangle yourself with the woman represented on the Judith picture. Don't get ensnared by her. She isn't the one who is destined for you. And then look here, Carl, I have brought you the bride who someday you will meet. And then goes into the scene of, oh, he saw mm-hmm. her. Yeah. So so I don't know what she meant about the Judas picture. Is that his current? I don't know. Or girlfriend? Or is his that wife. why he just? <clears throat> no, like the reason he he forgot about his family was because he met his wife. His heavenly wife. No, no, because that, that literally sounds like like the reason why he, he left. Or what no, he talk, no, he talks about why he left his wife. He's like, because my true, my true love is Elena. It's not this lady I married in Germany. Oh, okay. Well, but I, I see where, what Josh is talking about. Like, because this happened before 12 mm-hmm. years, right? Or something like that. Or No, this is 12 years before Elena was born. But that's what I'm saying. Like, like maybe that's what he's talking. Oh, but he's still a kid. Yeah. 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 I mean, the process of this, this visit to him finding Elena... It's it's a forty year. It's, it's I think it's, it's a 30, 30, 38 year. Because yeah. he was twelve years old when this happened. So almost forty years into the future, where he finally finds his true, true love, love, this destined woman that he says. And then right after that fucking that 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 experience, this is what he said. He said it seemed very natural, it very wonderful to me, with a feeling of relief and quite happiness. I just noted the time on my clock, two o'clock, and then fell back into sound sleep. He felt it was it was it was just like oh, it's it a good thing. Yeah, wasn't a thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. And I, a, a great reason for that is because of his aunt. So when he became of age, he went on a world tour. He went from continent to continent in search of his bride. And when he reached Genoa, he saw a marble statue of a beautiful girl who looked almost identical to the apparition he had seen in the green room. The only problem was she had died when she was 22 and also learned her name was Elena. Remember this fucking detail. He saw a statue that looked like his wife. The statue of his wife was 22 years old when she died and her name was Elena later on we're going to find out Elena is the lady he marries and she dies when she's 22 years old so this is what I mean when when I'm talking about there's a lot of coincidences that are going on where he's like no it's not coincidences this is the universe telling me I'm on the right track yeah there's there's more detail on that on that statue do you go into it right now well he he sees a statue right and he's like, it's a shame God would introduce me to her when she's dead. And after that, the apparition that he first saw with with his aunt, she came out from the statue. And she started walking towards him. She just literally passed through him and she went into like the forest or whatever in, in that area. And he goes crazy. He's like, oh shit, I got to find her. But it, <clears throat> he checked everywhere. He asked people, have you seen the lady in the white dress? Everyone's like, no. And then he go. Uh, uh, it became nighttime, so he asked the police around there. 
because they lock up cemeteries and all that mm. stuff and that entrance to a forest and shit like that. And they're like, yo, you can't come in here, but if it's someone you know, whatever, we'll we'll do a quick check in there. And they check and they come out of the car, man, there's no lady in a white dress, which is crazy. Just for the fact that's his second encounter with, encounter this. with this apparition. And then, according to him, Destiny then led him to Australia, where he claims he was employed by the Australian government as a civil engineer and x-ray expert. Maybe it was, and maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was not. The timeline of him explaining things sometimes don't add up, and this is one of those times. Like, for example, if this was true, and if he did arrive in Australia in 1901... That made him 24, and at that time, he claims he was taking almost nine different exams in Germany. So taking nine exams in Germany, traveling the world, looking for his long-lost wife, and settling in Australia in one year seems almost impossible, especially back then. This is one of the things I mentioned earlier in the episode, where when you're reading his memoirs, you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta... He, he he romanticizes things. There's some things that he romanticizes. Maybe he gets some dates wrong. So don't take every don't take his word as fact. But Carl he could speak and write English well enough to be understood, which lends some credibility to him staying in Australia before reaching Key West. So during this time, he claims to have made a seaplane with 110 foot wingspan. But this was literally aerodynamically impossible, which a plane that was going to fly with two diesel engines would not be able to fly. And plus, this was also during the time of the Wright brothers. So maybe this was him trying to amp up his resume with some tales of exotic sciences. Because the Wright brothers, this is when the Wright brothers were, you know, and unless you were really involved in the sciences, which a lot in sciences and things of that nature, you wouldn't know who specifically they were. So maybe for him, he's borrowing little things to add to his resume, beefing up his resume. He's going from town to town. People hear about him like, oh, shit, he's building airplanes. He's an x-ray technician. He's this and he's that. There's no doubt about it. He's a fucking genius. He's a smart guy. But whether or not he's a master of all these things that he claims he is, that's a whole different story. So another interesting thing that happened to him during his time in Australia was his third meeting with his apparition. And this time, the apparition stayed with him for over a week while he went about his daily life. She stood by his bedside as he slept at night before vanishing into thin air and this is how carl described the end of his life down under i live in australia for 15 years i was respected and had good friends everywhere and yet as soon as the war broke out they looked upon me as the enemy that's fucked up but it's, it's war he gets into a little more detail with with the apparition in his book right that stayed with him for over a week. Oh, dude, dude, it's it's. You it's, want to give us a little bit of those details? I think reading passages from this is the best way to. Uh, and going to that as his friends look at him as, as enemy, uh, since he was in Australia, but he was German, um, like 
by law, they're like, you're you're safe with us because he still worked for the Australian government building certain certain uh, 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 equipment stuff for the government. So they're like, yo, you're although you're German, you're you're on our side and we're going to keep you protected. So they had him like in the I mean, I don't want to say uh, like, like a like a military like a like a, yeah. yeah, a military cap where he was kept safe. So he wasn't truly fucked. Yeah, I mean, just to give you a a, a, a quick it's description summary. of it. Um, he sees her. Um, he talks to her, but he describes that he she's like an angel that's forbidden to talk, to speak. But she understood him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything he was thinking. And for a whole week, it was like if, if that was his wife. He would wake up early and do his stuff. He'll go to work. He'll come back. She'll be there waiting for him. And then on the seventh day, um, he's coming back. He clocks out of work, and he's going back home. And he feels her leaving. He was almost getting to the house, and he feels this this just emptiness as Damn. he knew she was leaving him once again. And once that happened, he became very ill. He was in a coma. He had so much shit happening to him as if he was dying. And he felt that way because he felt like he'd lost well, his his love, his true love once again. There's so many. You don't explain the letters. No. Okay. And w- once he got better, once he was uh, able to react high function, they gave him a lot of letters, uh, unread letters that he couldn't read because obviously he was in that in that state. And the first letter he wrote, I mean, uh, he uh, he opened and read. It was a letter, news stating that his father got sick. And it was the first day he encountered Elena. And then... The when, apparition. Yeah, the, the apparition. <clears throat> and then later on when they stated when he died was the exact same time Elena left. So he wrote down, he jotted everything down. Like, I felt that she left at 7 p.m. And his father died at on that day at 7, 7 p.m. In that letter stated the day and time his father passed away. And it was that day where she left. And it was that day where his father died at that exact same time. So I was like, holy shit. Coincidence? Maybe. Divine? Uh, yeah, it's one of those coincidences. It's either like coincidence or like divine intervention or like divine, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and and like we don't know if he made that up. I don't know. If there's proof about those letters. Who knows? But it, I mean, true. I don't know. It's crazy. Carry on. Yeah. So the military, the the Australian military, they moved him, and he lived at a military headquarters for about five years before he was shipped back home. Like, all right, dude, you're good to go. We war's over. Go home. Mm-hmm. And he did, and he went back to his castle. And his castle was in disarray. He lost his library and all of his documents, the collection of diamonds, emeralds, and opals. They were all lost. The organ he learned how to play was just gone to shit. His house was in, it was just gone. But another version of the, another version of the truth, or at least during this time period, was that Carl was actually in the German army and that he had been an officer in the German submarine division and according to a historian at the Monroe County Library 
Carl actually received a monthly check that he picked up at the post office, possibly a pension for his military service. Hmm. So we don't know if he was actually in Australia working for the Australia government or he was in the German or he was in the German army. One of the reasons why he might have lied was because Germany lost. So he don't he don't he don't want to be like, "Oh, I'm I'm I'm, I'm on the losing side." Yeah. So he might have invented that whole Australia thing. So there are 6 years from 1920 to 1926 that are unaccounted for in his writings and his accounts of looking back and telling his life story. He neglects to talk or even mention his marriage to Doris, the birth of the daughters, or their immigration. He also mentions that he was of a noble family, and he's from a bloodline of important people. But again, there is no proof of that, other than a large timepiece with four large diamonds inscribed with the name Van Kozel. Van Kossel which lends to him calling himself Count, Count Carl Van Kozo. He, he claims in, in, his, in his diary that his uh, aunt was from nobility, yeah. and he states there is documents stating that she was kind of, I mean, she was having nobility, was going to marry a king. So I think that's where, where why it stated that. Yeah, because the thing is, there is a Van Kozo royal bloodline, but it's not his family. So maybe they're saying he took that because there's more than and added to. There's more, you know, like there's gonna be more Sorias, more Gonzalez's, and and it, in his area, there's Van, you know. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're saying he took part of that identity and added it to his whole repertoire. But whether or not he was a genius. Or merely a good liar, he was able to understand scientific language and use it accordingly. We learned about Carl, kind of learned about who he is, what he was about, how he traveled the world, how he was this genius. Was he a genius? Was he a liar? Was he both? Was he just, you know? So now let's learn about the other half of this sad story. She goes by the name of Elena Milagro Hoyos Mesa. So poor Elena, she was named in the traditional Hispanic manner. Hoyos was the name she took from her father, and Milagro came from her mother, and Mesa was from her husband when they were married. Elena was the middle child of three sisters, and all three grew up in Key West. Elena's childhood was normal, and her family moved to Key West after falling on hard times. So she was in Cuba. They were, they were kind of like well off in Cuba. But then they fell on hard times, they went to shit, so they had to leave Cuba, and they moved to Key West, where they remained a poor family. I, I just want to point out something, that earlier they said that the table moved. Table is Mesa. Coincidence? Slap, <laughs> slap this guy! You stopped me for that? Mm. Uh, let's just move on. Let's move on. Let's I'm, move on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to edit. I'm going to edit. <laughs> So, singing and dancing were two things that Elena and her sisters loved doing. They they used to look forward to the Saturday matinee where they were popular, sought-after dance partners. So, they were pretty big in Key West. They were good dancers. And the thing on Saturday nights to do was to go dance. And people liked to go dancing with them. They're like, oh, the Milagro sisters, they know how to dance. So, everyone was, you know, they knew who they were. So, the Hoyos family was located on Watson Street, which was the epicenter for cigar making. And one thing the people who knew Elena all agree on 
was that she was the prettiest of the three sisters and the nicest of the whole family. Then on February 18, 1926, she walked down the aisle and married Luis Mesa. Do you guys remember earlier what date I told you guys to remember? The date he f- took off, mm-hmm. left his family? Mm-hmm. February 18, 1926 is when he left. Was it then? Wait, what? February 18, 1926 is when he left. Was to, it? To do his adventures. Well, I thought it was February 26th. And it's, and it's the exact day that Elena married her husband. Luis and Elena's courtship, when they were dating, when they, you know, up, up leading up to the wedding and the few months of being newlywed, they were Elena's happiest moments of her entire life. They're saying she was happy. People saw her and her family. There were just joy. There was just, it was just joy all around. Yeah. But as quickly as the happiness came, so it was taken away. First, her pregnancy ended tragically on November 5th when she suffered a miscarriage. Mm. Then her parents and those closest to her also began to notice that she started looking a little, a little sickly. But many just chalked it up and just said that her poor condition was due to her grieving over the loss of her child. So she was sick. She was looking kind of sick, but they were like, well, yeah, she, she, had, a miscarriage. she had a miscarriage. So they didn't really pay too much attention to her. But as time went on and health started taking a snow dive, the family realized it had to be a physical ailment. Plus, the cough she developed was heartbreaking due to the numerous cases of tuberculosis that were popping up around Key West. Mm. So the time that she was getting sick, she started this deep cough. And if you know anything about tuberculosis, that's one of the signs of tuberculosis. So, around the same time that she started getting sick and coughing, cases of her tuberculosis were popping up in Key West. So, in the early stages of tuberculosis, the symptoms aren't that apparent, unless you happen to find lesions that appear only under an x-ray. At first, the cough is dry and occurs only in the morning, unless you get up to date treatment, the cough becomes more pronounced and painful until the infected literally wastes away. The most dangerous form and the kind Elena had was the type called hasty consumption because of how quickly the infected person dies. So her doctor immediately referred her to the Naval Marine Hospital for a blood test and an x-ray. Commander Lombard, Lombard, the physician in charge, had been referred from New Orleans where he had, with some success, Battled the fucking bubonic plague. Mm. So he was the dude. So he was kind of the, if, if you were sick, he was kind of the guy you wanted to go see. Here's your guy. Yeah. He's, you know, you have tuberculosis. All right. I'll look at you. He was fucking, you know, he was dealing with the plague and he came out. Oh, okay. Considering the plague. He was described as a kind and understanding, sympathetic man. And it was under his watch that Carl was hired and rose to the position he had when Elena came to the hospital for treatment. Naturally being scared of Elena and Luis, they took the trolley down to the hospital, but then they decided to just walk to the hospital for the appointment, just so they could check the time. She was really scared. She's like, I don't want to... 
Let's yeah. just get off and we'll walk here. We'll take we'll our time. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And once there, he stayed outside in the waiting room as she was rushed into an examining room where a distinguished looking gentleman prepared to take the blood sample from her. With, of course, fucking Carl writing down and describing his intense and immediate reaction to her. So this is what he, this is his reaction to the first time of seeing this apparition in the flesh. This is the first time he's seen the spirit that he saw 12 years ago in front of him. He's able to touch it. He's seen it before. It stayed with him. But it was a ghost and he couldn't talk to him. Now it's right in front of him in the flesh. And this is where it's like, fuck. It gets to you because once you're reading the book, you're reading you're reading his his his, his version, his words. He the apparition could have talked to him, right? But he he still loved her, and it wasn't forty. Uh, it's a making of forty years essentially where he, it brought to him this day. Yeah, and while years. reading this, it it kind of like got to me because it's like, holy shit! This is the moment he's waiting for. She responds, and. I'll read you that whole scene. In the middle of my routine work, I I received a call from the head office to go and take a blood test from a young senorita who had come for an examination. I hardly looked at the patient as I entered the room. The first thing I noticed of her as I bent down to take a drop of blood was that her hand was unusually small. As the needle struck, the hand twitched a little, and it was then that from my kneeling position, I raised my head for the first time to say, I'm very sorry to have caused you pain. Forgive me, please. Her face had been hidden by her hand. Hold on. This is the part that got to me. The first time he saw the apparition when he was 12 years old, what was she doing with her hand? She was covering her face. She was covering her face. And the first time he sees her in person, what is she doing? She's covering, covering her, her face. face. If you felt that way, <laughs> read this motherfucker, dude. You're going to be like, holy shit. Her face had been hidden by her hand so that I had hardly seen it as I first entered the room. But now she withdrew her hand to answer me and I look into the face of unearthly beauty. The face of the bride which had been promised to me by my ancestor 40 years before. I was so thunderstruck. I hardly heard saying that it didn't hurt much. Her voice was soft and sweet and childlike. She spoke with a Spanish accent, yet her English was cultured and quite good. Having performed the duty for which I had been called, I had no excuse to stay any longer in the room. Feeling very shaky, I arose and much too confused to say anything. I merely bowed out, not knowing whether I was walking or dreaming. He had he could he was so surprised. The only thing he thought of to do was fucking bow in front of her and leave. He, he's. I mean, do you blame him? Like, how do you feel? Right, it, forty years ago, a fucking ghost was like, "Yo, this is gonna be your chick in the future. Don't fuck it up." Forty years forward, 
he meets her in flesh. I don't blame Yeah, no. Keep going, keep going. So, obviously, Elena had no fucking idea that this creepy bastard was fucking in love with her. And in her, in, in, for her, in her case, that is creepy. She never met this guy. Yeah. She has no idea who he is. But a, but to him, she's already his. So that's where I find the creepiness. That's where the creepiness starts coming in. Because, yes, we're it's it's one-sided. It, yeah, exactly. It's, it's one-sided. one-sided. So, yeah, of course. So she had no idea that, he, that Carl was in love with her. I had no idea what he had in store for her as well. But Carl could not stop thinking of the beautiful Elena, who he was starting to think was the bride he had for so long been seeking. So he saw her. He was he was dumb. He was like kicked in the dick. He didn't know what to do. He fucking all, all he could do was uh, he bowed and walked out. And he was walking out. And he's like, "Fuck, is that really her? Is it really her? Is it really her?" But legally, Carl was still married, and he belonged to another. But after this meeting, Carl mentally cut off his family for good. From this point moving forward, he never mentioned his wife or daughters outside of one time during his memoirs when he just goes on to say, I also belong to another years ago. I know I said that earlier that when he dipped, that was the last time he was part of the family. That's true. That was the last time he was part of the family, but he was still sending them money. It wasn't often, but he was still sending the money. But after he saw Elena, that's it. They didn't exist. They were nothing to him. But now, after meeting Elena, he was now completely fallen in desperate love for her. And if that wasn't bad enough for Elena, soon after this first meeting with Carl, her husband Luis abandoned her for another woman and left Key West for Tampa, and eventually settled in Miami. Though he claims it had nothing to do with Elena's illness, the reason why he abandoned her, it seemed like he only saw himself catching the disease and fading away with her, or leave and live to love again. So when he found out that Elena had tuberculosis, they were 19. He was like, alright, do I stay with her? And die with her? Or do I just leave and live my life? And he took the ladder and left. And and while she was dying, it, it, we don't, I don't, I'm not going to mention it. But while she's dying and going through everything, she sees Luis leave with another woman. Mm. No. Mm. So it sucks, but what do you do? When you're 19, do you stay with her and die at 19? Or do you leave and, like he said, live to love again? It wasn't the divine love. <laughs> so oh, Ele- boy. So Elena became a walking time bomb with a disease that would later claim the entire Hoyos family. Mother, father, and one of the sisters. But only one person was living in cloud nine after hearing 
of a separation. So now let's talk about this first meeting with Elena. So after arriving in Key West and working at the Marine Hospital, Carl, he considered himself to be a medical doctor. And like I mentioned, he somehow, I don't know how, he, con he convinced the hospital administrator to move him up from basically an attendant to a technician, where he was not operating x-ray equipment and doing laboratory work as well as taking blood samples. So like we just finished hearing about the first meeting, in the flesh, at least, Carl, he was, in his own words, thunderstruck as he was walking out of the room. People who were present commented that he seemed that he was walking on air and that he was more than overjoyed when he heard that Elena was coming back the next day for a chest x-ray. So the next morning, Carl, he woke up early as fuck and made sure his tie was straight. He combed what little hair he had. He tied, he fucking, <laughs> hit the clothes he had, he pressed them to perf to perfection. He's, he, he wanted to become a, he wanted to become, he wanted to be as presentable as possible. And uh, 40 years. Yeah, exactly. Fucking, it took 40 years to finally meet her. I don't and, blame the dude. And on his way to the hospital. Tip of the hat for him. The world seemed like a much happier place. And, you know, when and, and they say that when you're happy, the world seems a little happier. There's a little skip to your step. The birds are singing. The sun shining a little brighter. That was Carl's day. So at the hospital, he prepared the equipment more thoroughly than usual, which was a task in and of itself, considering his mind was elsewhere. It was with the Cuban beauty that was yet to arrive. Good morning, Miss Hoyos, Carl greeted Elena. He pretended to scrutinize her charts, but he knew what they said by heart, considering he had gone over them again and again and again in anticipation of her arrival. After a little back and forth, talking about symptoms and how she had been feeling, he asked for her hand to take her pulse. Calmly, he went about the procedure as professional as possible. But his heart was fluttering and he was beginning to sweat, just being close to her almond-colored skin. Your pulse is normal, a little fast. That is to be expected when a patient sees a doctor under these circumstances. Next, he took the stethoscope that was hanging around his neck and placed a cold metal disc on her back, savoring each heartbeat, moving the disc every 10 seconds. After the checkup, Elena asked Carl if he could tell her anything as she was dying of nerves. And you could tell this is how nervous Carl was. He, he was, he was, well, yeah, fuck. Like, it's like, watch, it's, it's crazy. Like, it, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Like, what's well, kind of creepy when you put it that way, savoring each <laughs> fucking heartbeat. Well, cause that's what, like, the way, the way they were, the way they were describing it in the book was the everything, like. He had his eyes closed the whole time, and he was, like, breathing with it, like, taking deep breath. Because, like, that's the first time she's she's been there in she's the in flesh. She's in, in the, she's in the she's flesh. In his arms. She, before it was a ghost, it was an apparition. She had no smell, no, no, and now she's right there, warm in the flesh. She's right there. And this is what he says. Yes, of course, I am the doctor. Am I not? I hear the lungs are having a little bit of a hard time breathing. Not too bad. The x-rays will tell everything we'll need to know. But let me say this. 
Tuberculosis is a strange disease. If you have it, not saying you do, but if you do, I can treat it. Don't be afraid. And this, and he kept this composure for the rest of her life. But one of the things that they that described during this little meeting when he's talking to her, he's so out of whack, he's so flustered that his German accent comes back. So he starts pronouncing everything with a Z. So he's like, yes, of course, I am the doc. Like, his German accent came back. He's just so flustered that it just comes back. And she's looking at him. And he's going back and forth between his American broken English to his German pronunciation. So she's, like, looking at him. And he's, like, sweating. And, like, they say that the suit he had on was a little too big for him. So he's a skinny old man (laughs) who was sweating, going back and forth between, like, like the scene was kind of funny. Like, the, the way... If you picture it in the way it happened. Or the way they say it happened. Just to backtrack a little bit more. Um, that scene where you first met her. Reading the book. It, it, it It's a different feeling. Because once you read it. If you do read it. You're going to be stuck. You're going to be in tune to the whole. To his words. And leading up to that day. It's, it's, it's happy as we described it. Uh, it's 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 once you read it, it's 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 fucked up, it's fucked up. He literally yeah. describes it as like an arrow to the heart. Yeah, if, yeah. If you look at the picture, he kind of looks like he either sells chicken or he's gonna. <laughs> he sells chicken <laughs> or he's or gonna Kentucky take you Fried back. Chicken, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, he's, or he's gonna take you to a, like the Jurassic Park, <laughs> bro. That's more. <laughs> We're talking about a tender moment this guy had with this woman, and now you're thinking about those no, chicken no, no. and dinosaurs. <laughs> chicken uh, and has the book, and I'm just looking at the picture on the on the back of the book. Well, this is a clear picture of what he looks like. This is a clear picture. Oh, see, that looks different. <laughs> that, that doesn't look like he's selling chicken. <laughs> so after a few moments, he makes her sit, about to get her x-ray taken. Sit straight. It is important that you stay as still as you possibly can while I take the x-rays. When I tell you, take a deep breath and hold it. Your enemy is a dangerous and invisible one. When I turn off the light, you must take off your blouse and your undergarments. The x-ray machine will photograph your lungs. For the x-rays to see properly, nothing can come between me and my machine. And I'm the only one who can work it. I will not turn on the lights until you have put on your blouse. So she's nervous. She's like, do I have to? And he's like, yeah, you have to because that's the only way I'm able to see with the x-ray machine. She's like, don't worry. No one's going to come between me and the machine. You're good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn my head. It's dark in here. No one can see you. But just to make just to make you feel more comfortable, let me turn my head. But Carl's horny ass under the cover of the dark room. <laughs> you know, he started wiping his face. His heart was pounding. And he was, and the only way he was able to maintain any type of composure was by pretending to fidget with the Gears camera. So he's just like pretending he's doing things. And it was because he was hidden by the dark. He was able to see Elena remove her clothes, exposing her body to him. So they're describing that as she's getting, as she's, as she's undressing herself, there's a little blinking red light. That when he blinks, he's able to see and it shows her figure. That's how he's able to, to like, see her. So after she was gone, Carl's eyes focused on the developing x-ray. But his mind only saw the naked image of a woman he had fallen hopelessly forever and ever head over heels with. And after she was gone, 
Carl's eyes focused on the developing x-ray, but his mind only saw the naked image of the woman he had fallen hopelessly, forever and ever, head over heels in love with. Being aroused by her perfume on his skin, the romantic vision of his went to Dick when he saw the lesions confirming tuberculosis. The realization that Elena might not have long to live shot through his heart like an arrow. So he's happy. He's like, cool. He He's, I, I don't think he was aware or he wasn't paying attention to why she was actually there. I think yeah. he was just so excited to be there. He's, oh, I'm going to take some x-rays. Cool, cool, cool. I'm going to take a blood. All right, cool, cool, cool. He was just like, as long as I could see her. And when he, when he got the x-ray, I guess the realization kicked in. He's like, wait, well, of course she's here for x-rays. Why is she here? Fuck, she has tuberculosis. And bang. And he said, like, he describes that. Like, he describes it with, like, extra sorrow in his memoirs. No, well, I was talking about uh, when he saw the, the missus. Oh. Um, yeah, the missus on, 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 on the chart. Yeah, that that's this chart. Uh, no. What, what does he say? This is another one. Cause this is uh this is where he gets news of her having tuberculosis. Like, so what happened? Yeah, cause I don't mention the miss. I don't mention the chart. Yeah, I mean, I mean, after he sees her and he walks out of room, he he asks for the chart to see, um, and then that's where he saw misses. I know, but what happens? Like, what what, what, what what does he say? Well, this is where this is what he says. So nurse brought me the record sheet for me to enter the results of my tests. There was nothing much the matter with her blood, but it gave me a shock to read on top of the record sheet. The missus, before the name, Elena Hoyos. So she belonged to somebody else. Was there a curse upon me that after this search of four decades had come to an end, I should lose her again at that very moment? I had finally discovered her, my promised bride. Even so, I felt indescrib- uh, indescribably happy, because he was, four fucking decades. What, after all, did it matter if she belonged to another? Hadn't, hadn't I also belonged to another years ago? And that's that saying. I, see, see, see but this is the first time he mentions. That's the only time he mentions her family. That's <laughs> yeah. it. Our relationship had never been of an earthly nature. Over all these years, what was there? In the husband's name or even in the husband's existence. All this had very little to do with me and Elena. He was was happy, but he was bummed out. He was like, shit, this is how it's going to end. And then it comes to all this other shitty news. (coughs) And this is what he says. I saw her the very next day when she came in for more tests. And this time I took a radiograph of her lungs which brought me the painful revelation that she was suffering from tuberculosis. Both Elena and her mother could observe my deepest interest in her case. They invited me to the family home that very evening. So this is the second time he sees her. First time she came with her husband. After that first meeting, he fucked off. And now the mother's with her. So days later, he went back again to her home. This time in order to take some blood tests. He was led by Elena's mother into a room and to his surprise, he saw hanging over her bed a picture 
of St. Cecilia playing the organ. The same saint that he had brought roses to while in Rome. He was surprised to see a picture of her in America as she is his guardian angel. When then I said that the saint was also her guardian angel. And, and he's like, really? And he's like, yeah, I'm from Cuba. And like a slap to the face, he now knew why he stayed in Cuba for those couple of days a few years back. How he was hypnotized by the Havana. It was because he was certain that his guardian angel, St. Cecilia, was trying to bring the doctor and Elena together. Remember, when he first showed to Cuba, I'm going to stay here one day and I'm going to fuck off. But he ended up staying four days because he was looking for Elena. Little did he know that Elena wasn't a grown woman. She was still a little kid when he was in Cuba, which is why he never recognized her. But he stayed in Cuba those extra four days because Elena was in Cuba. So the connection was there. He just assumed that she was of age and not the little girl that she was. Yeah. Then out of the joy he was feeling and ignoring his medical duties, he told Elena that he was willing to send her to a hospital abroad, all paid by him to a facility that was sure to cure her because the Florida weather was pretty harsh on her condition. He was so happy that she was there. The mother's there. Husband's out of the picture. He's like, look, Florida is not good for your condition. It's moist. It's going to keep your, it's going to aggravate you. Let me pay you to go to a hospital abroad. They're going to cure you. She declined, mm. but his reasoning for her, but her reason for her decline was not because she was not interested, but because she didn't realize the seriousness of her condition. And we're going to find this out over and over again. But regardless, he felt she only left him with one choice that he was to cure her at her house. He decided he was going to try and buy what he could and build what he could. That he could not get his hands on. In the meantime, I decided to give her radiation therapy with the hospital equipment. Whatever was left of my spare time, I spent on the completion of an airplane I had started to construct some time ago. This fucking airplane. Hmm. So, of all things that are said to be said of Carl, you can't say that he wasn't a smart guy. His theories and medical knowledge, they impressed the doctors and nurses back at the hospital. But with that being said, even though he may have had a valid foundation for his theories, he rarely was able to put his theories into working inventions. Mm -hmm. A prime example of that was the airplane he was building behind the hospital. There are conflicting theories about the almost finished plane. Carl claims that he had built this shit from scratch, but the likely explanation was that he bought the plane, hauled behind the hospital, and was trying to restore it. That was the most accurate of them all. He kept telling people, I built it from scratch. I'm building it. But people people back there are mostly saying like, no, nah, dude, you, kinda, you, you bought it from scratch. Especially because during that time, Cuba and Key West, it was a huge aviation sit, huge aviation like civilization where there was a lot of pilots, pilots and planes. They So he was able to find a plane with no wings. He's like, fuck it. Because he's, he believes in his own work and his genius. He's like, I could build a fucking plane. So he bought so they say he bought the plane, hauled it behind the hospital. And that was his house, right? For for a long for a long while. Yeah. And uh we're gonna find out next episode that it was Elena's house for a while too. 
But regardless, there was simply no way a plane could fly the way he had designed the wheels that he had attached to the plane. Some hollow wheels that were almost that were about as big as Carl. And he claimed they were superior and they would even allow him to operate it on land and water. So he put these wheels or these huge wheels, hollow wheels, and he was saying like, these are these are better than the wheels we have on the fucking regular planes. But people who are experts on aircraft are like, dude, the plane wasn't going to fly with those. It's too heavy. And he, Carl was like, oh, they're hollow enough where I'm, I'll be able to land on water. And they're like, no, you're an idiot. <laughs> so not only was Carl going to build machines to cure his out one day, he also promised that she would fly in his airplane. That, that she would, Yeah, that she would fly in his airplane to some island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. She kept telling her that we're going to fly to this island. We're going to be happily ever after and la, 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 la. So now let's go to the treatments of Elena. So despite Elena's tuberculosis, her beauty had not faded. But that, of course, was not going to stop her parents from worrying. Especially after Elena's husband, Luis, ended up abandoning her shortly after that first visit to Dr. Carl. The strain was beginning to take its toll on the family with the financial repercussions adding the weight of the world to the struggling Hoyos. There was barely enough money to get by before the medical treatments, which were just a tremendous hardship on them. They would constantly ask themselves how much they could spare and what would it cost. But then came the German Knight of Shiny Armor. Elena's parents were in a vulnerable state of mind, and Carl not only understood how they felt, but they seemed extremely knowledgeable about Elena's illness. It also didn't hurt that after his first visit to their house, he would stop charging them for his services. Carl every day would bring her fruits and some of the finest medicinal wine he could find. Because next to the x-ray treatments, bringing her up to health was the next important thing. And for a while, this was keeping the tuberculosis in check. So with the x-ray chemotherapy, with the radiation therapy and the fact that he was giving her all these fruits and vegetables, giving her vitamins, it wasn't curing the tuberculosis, but it kind of kept it at bay. Like, she wasn't getting any sicker. She wasn't getting any better, but she wasn't getting any sicker, which was perfect for Carl because I was, gave him, I was buying him some time. So back, back at the hospital, Dr. Lombard knew there was little hope of recovery for Elena, but he never discouraged Carl's efforts to find the miracle cure. After a while, Elena began to weaken and her parents began to get skeptical with Carl, whose love for Elena rubbed them in an arrogant kind of way. But what could they do? They had no money to go elsewhere, and without him, there was no one. Even through this ordeal, Elena refused to accept the seriousness of her condition. She told Carl that she didn't believe she was sick at all, and during the episodes where she did feel better, her parents began to feel the same way. And this is when Carl finally made his case, professionally and personally. Her 21st birthday was approaching, and Carl was hoping that now Elena would accept him as her suitor as she allowed him to buy her a ring. So he was curing her, and he was throwing hints at her, like, do you like jewelry? She's like, yeah, I do. Like, Let me buy you a ring. And he kept bugging her, he kept bugging her, bugging her. <laughs> she finally said, yeah, buy me a ring. Never once did he mention a wedding ring. He just said a ring. So the day came, and he brought the ring hidden in the bouquet of roses. He brought wine and cake, and they had a wonderful day together. As they talked and laughed, during a rare moment of isolation, Carl told Elena of his deep feelings for her. Elena, 
I can give you so much more than someone of your age. I can give you my science, my experience, my capacity to save your life, all of this and more. I will give you my undying love. So he poured her, he poured his heart out to her. But she quickly countered with that she was a married woman. And that yes, her husband did leave her. And that she is sure she would never see him again. But that doesn't mean that she's not married in the eyes of God. Carl tried to convince her that he would fly her in the plane to the South Sea Island. Elena gave a little laugh and joked that if he was going to fly her in the plane with no wings. <laughs> Fuck. But Elena's beautiful face then took a look of pain. And she looked Carl in the eyes and she told him, I think I'm dying, Carl. Mm-mm-mm. No, don't believe that. You're not going to heaven. Not yet. But don't worry. If you die, I'll take you in my arms. The good Lord will have to take us both. She lay down and asked for her fan. The same fan she used when she danced during her wedding. And she laid on his lap and just told that I'm frightened, Carl. Elena, forget about him. You're meant to be with me. You've been looking for me longer than you've been alive. You appeared to me when I when I was only 12 years old. I was playing the organ at our castle in Germany when the violent thunderstorm blew across the countryside. The wind blew the door open and it was you, Elena, who rushed to the door, kissed me, and vanished. Elena, she gave him a sad look, and in an effort to be nice to the doctor, she invited him to her sister's wedding. And again, during this wedding, Carl tried to convince Elena to marry him. But while doing so, her mother overheard and sternly told Carl that no daughter of mine is going to marry an American. It is to be Cuban if she ever marries again. Dude, I wonder how... How fucked up he felt when when she told him, Carl, <coughs> I think I'm dying. And then he lays on his lap and says, I'm frightened, Carl. Now, again, this is a one-way one street. Well, well, now it's two ways. <coughs> Not compared to fucking Carl. Carl's been waiting 40 fucking <laughs> years. She had no idea. Carl does. So to hear those words from her. That's true. That hurts. That hurts. So after Elena's mom told him to go fuck himself, <laughs> Carl bid the family good night and went on his way. But he did not give up. Mm. The next time he went over, he took out of his pocket and he pressed it for her. And this kept going every time he found her in, de- in a depressed mood. Almost every day, he wrote her letters where medical advice was mixed with his love for her. And here's an excerpt to give you a good idea of what I'm talking about with these letters. My darling Elena, please take the medicine I am sending and do come back to the hospital for a new checkup. Dr. Lumberg, too, wants to see you. I will give you a key for the cabin and we shall officially christen it. 
I am already collecting all the things we are going to need on our wedding trip. Silk dresses for you and the bridal gown, which is all white silk, even lingerie, and silver slipper. And last but not least, all of your medicines. Forever yours, Carl. So Carl was treating Elena at the Marine Hospital until she started missing appointments and making excuses on why she couldn't come. Elena's family had began to distrust Carl and they started talking and they started taking her to other doctors and avoiding Carl. He decided to stop by one day and found the house crowded with young Cubans with music playing loudly and full of cigar smoke. This pissed off Carl and told him they should at least stop smoking in the house for Elena. Her father took offense to this and responded that his daughter was feeling better and if he didn't like the smoking, then why doesn't he just leave and get out of his house? And this actually settled things for a while with Carl keeping his distance from his beloved Elena. After this interaction, he kind of got the hint, so he kind of stayed away. But not seeing her was torture and to be unable to do anything for her was even worse. Night after night, he dreamt of her until after a week, he got a little note from her. She said she was sorry and to forgive her family, and that her father didn't mean what he had said to him, and that they didn't mean to be so rude to him, and that they'd all love for him to be their guest again. Nobody was there except Elena and her mother. I found my Elena in an appalling condition. She laid in a state of serious convulsions on her bed, trembling and gasping for air. I insisted on explanation and the frightened mother finally came out with the truth. Elena had just been brought home from another doctor who had been giving her injections for the past few weeks. She gave me an, an empty vial and named a doctor. This man was not a quack but since he was not informed of my treatment and had started on a different one. The two of us worked at odds, harming Elena. So the whole time she kept giving excuses uh, yeah. was because her family was taking her to a different doctor. And when the two doctors are trying to treat her for the same thing, doing different things, she's the one who's suffering. She's convulsing, she's sick, she can't walk, and he's like, fuck. And even after all of this, Elena mother continued her campaign to keep her daughter away from the German doctor. So Carl knew that if she was not going to come to the hospital, then he would have to bring the hospital to her. And unfortunately, when he tried bringing a transformer to Elena, they objected, calling the machine the work of the devil. At night, during the few hours he did sleep, he had nightmares about Elena's worsening condition. When he wrote to her about his dreams... She instructed her sister to go to the hospital and to tell Carl, dream of me no more. But Carl, he couldn't stop dreaming. I had wandered into the countryside outside of Key West and there I saw what looked like a bundle of clothing and discovered that it was a human body with a head buried in the mud. The dress looked familiar and I quickly slid down the embankment 
and it was Elena. I turned her over and her face was covered with blood and mud. I washed it and her features became clear and I could see that only the bridge of her nose had been broken, but there was still life in her. I did everything to bring her back to life and at that same time to clean her dress. I needed water so I stepped down and saw that there were more bodies lying in the muddy stream. Men, women, and children dead and in a bad state of decay. I counted 37 bodies in all. They made my hair stand on end because I thought they must have been murdered. So I fled and took the unconscious body of Elena in my arms to my laboratory. I had just placed her on the x-ray table to examine her for eternal injuries when I woke up. These are the kind of night these were the kind of dreams he was having of Elena while he was away from her. Just fucking vivid as fuck. Too. Horrible nightmares. Yeah. So Elena's condition it was becoming critical, and eventually he was allowed to see her as he still offered hope for Elena. The other medical doctors were all pessimistic and would only offer painkillers. Then after one of his periodic expulsions, Carl realized that Elena and her family had moved their home. And he thought they moved to the U.S. to a new house. Unable to find out where they went, Carl was inconsolable. So during one of those times where he showed up and family man, go fuck yourself, and he would leave for a few days. Well, during one of those few days, he came back and the house was empty. He like, where the fuck they go? He couldn't find out where they went. And he was the saddest motherfucker in the world. Like, this kind of, like, breaks your heart, like, when you read it. When you listen to this little part. Night after night, he wandered through the streets, peering through the curtains, hoping to find her. But her silence was wearing him down. He would go f- through the box, look, looking at houses, opening windows to see if Elena was in there, go to the next one, doing it. Creepy, but yeah. sad. Then one night, an elderly Spanish lady called to him from the porch of her house. He had seen this woman with Elena's family during one of the parties. She told him that Elena was very sick and pointed to where the family moved to. She told him that Elena was now bedridden. And she's only saying this to him because she thinks what they're doing to her is a crime. She told him to just walk in. And if you're still able to help, just do it. The way they describe the, way they describe the scene is this old lady went up to Carl. Like an old, older, older lady, like a grandma, grabbed Carl by the hands and said, just walk into the fucking house. And if you're able to do something, fucking do it. Don't worry about them. So that encouraged Carl. He thanked God that he had found her again because it was obvious to everyone that she needed him now more than ever. Hmm. Elena was pale and emaciated. When Elena's mother lashed out at Carl for coming there, he lashed right back. Oh shit! This is the first time he didn't he he didn't take it. What the fuck are you doing here? He's like, what the fuck are you doing here? You know, they're just going back and forth. And and in that paragraph, he said he was so close to resorting to violence, which I meant he was like, I was getting ready to slap the living shit out of this lady. But right in the hallway, he saw his Elena's sweet little face. 
looking straight into his eyes from the chair in the kitchen corner. He cried to her, Elena, let me come in. And after asking who her, who her doctor was that was seeing her, her mother exclaimed, I am her doctor now. Carl turned around and after ripping the mom a new one, telling her what kind of doctor she was for allowing her daughter to rot away, he turned to Elena and begged her to tell him whatever she wished, whatever she wanted, he would bring to her. And she just responded with, I don't need anything. Taking her pulse, I felt that it was weak. The breathing shallow, the general appearance anemic, and the certain debility indicating disturbed blood circulation. She had an abscess on her leg caused by so many injections by another doctor. I left and spent the night with preparations for a determination campaign to save her life despite all the obstacles. He's not, he's not giving up. He's like, I can fuck. He can't. He can't give I can up. fix this. It's true love, bro. So he began his new series of treatments cautiously because he did not want to alienate the family again. Hmm. He's like, all right, I'm going to take my time. I don't want to lose it again. To get them accustomed to the voltage, he first brought over a small inductor box with a handle that Elena could regulate the current, which tickled and delighted her. Carl's plan was to attack the disease both medically and spiritually. So this little box was... the. F- Remember how earlier he said that he, if, if I can't take her to the hospital, I'm going to bring the hospital to her? But then the family was like, no, I'll take this shit away. This is the work of the devil. Mm-hmm. What is this huge conductor box? It's like this... When you think of a mad scientist thing, this is what it is. A huge electrical box with a bowl on top with electrical wires. Uh, this was to ele- this was to keep... And I'm explaining it a little bit. To keep her, like, to keep her at bay. So he's like, look, in order for them to not be scared of this machine, I got to show them that it's not scary. So he brought this little machine, and she would press on it, and the harder she would press, volts would would, 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 would touch her, but it would just tickle. So while Lena was playing with it, she called her whole family, and her whole family was playing with it. They were all like, oh, okay, cool, getting them accustomed to handling electricity. So like I said, Carl's plan was to attack the disease both medically and spiritually. Medically, the little box he invented was a warm-up for the bigger and better medical unit. Spiritually, he sought to lift Elena's mood by giving her more presents. Nothing was too good for Elena. When her family broke her bed by just being always around it, Carl came to the rescue and had the biggest, most expensive bed delivered to her house. With the largest mosquito top, sheets of silk, cushions in pink and blue, and a new dresser. The visits to her house were always the same. First came the presents, then the electrodes that he would put on her chest. The electricity surged until she cried out. It was after one of these treatments that Carl, in his memoirs, claimed that Elena initiated a wedding of sorts. Mm. <clears throat> if I must die, all I can leave you is my body, for I am only a sick girl. I can't marry you while I'm sick, but you... Will you take care of my body after I'm dead? That's what he's. That's what this fucking story is no famous for. God damn it! And this is what she said. But but did she really say it? That's what he's. According to Carl, this is what he told. This is what she told him. Is this Carl trying, <coughs> trying to like to sway the yeah, story? Maybe who knows? But so regardless, he promised he would. And it was a promise that we all know he kept. As the world came to find out. Mm. Carl kissed her and laid her back down gently 
into her cushions. And that quote right there is what Carl considered their marriage vows. And then the biggest coincidence, or at least top three when it comes to this morbid tale of love, was when Elena showed Carl her favorite song, La Boda Negra, which is what I titled this episode, La Boda Negra, and that and the lyrics you heard at the beginning of the episode were the poem you heard at the beginning of the episode are the lyrics to this song, La Boda Negra. The song invigorated him. A tale of a man's promise to his lover that even in death, they will not part. This was Elena's favorite fucking song. So the fact that she translated to him and he's like, I, I know what I need to do. When, when I mean, at this point, who's more crazy? Him or Elena? So Carl continued to try and make Elena's life as smooth as possible. Inventing things that would give her momentary relief. Like this dude was like using genius. Like leaving the spark discharging off a medical unit that it charged her room up with enough oxygen and electrons for a whole night of sleep because she had trouble breathing. He, he discharged electricity to fill the room up with so much oxygen that every little breath she took, she took more than what her body. So she was so she she, she would sleep at night without struggling for, for air. He would apply throat radiation to her and gave the outer surface of her chest high frequency radiation. For about 30 minutes, which stimulated the tissues to new activity, giving her back her voice and calming her deep coughs at least for a while. So he would do all these things to make her comfortable, make her at least a little better so yeah. she's not like deep coughing. Yeah. 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 When Elena's condition improved slightly one day, the Count became more optimistic and to boost her spirits, he went and bought her not one, not two, but six silk dresses with stockings to match. <laughs> but while this was going on, the family was doing everything they could to get in the doctor's way, even going as far as having small parties during mealtimes. So he's doing this, everything for her at her house. But the family hated Carl, so every time he would be there, there'd be parties, cigars, people walking in and out of the house, trying to, like, when you're sick, you're supposed to rest. They did everything but let Elena rest. And it sucked because it was to annoy Carl. But the, they're, they're, they're killing her. They were just, the only they're, one who was being hurt, yeah, was, hurt. Was, was Elena. So Carl talks about this one time that some fat asshole kept talking to Elena in rapid fire Spanish. While she held her bowl of soup between her hand and it was getting cold and her fingers were cramping. But she didn't want to be rude and eat in front of the man. So she's very sick. She has this warm bowl of food and this fat asshole is just talking to her. And she's struggling to keep the... She has no strength, so she's struggling to keep it. Her hands are shaking. And the dude would not... The dude, he, the dude would not shut the fuck up. I so thought Carl, you were going to start rapping when I heard that. So, Carl... Hands were shaking. God damn it. God damn it. So, Carl, from across the room, he interrupted her. And told her to go ahead and eat her soup. To ignore him. He was like... Like, I could just push him... Hey, fuck him. Just eat. Just eat. Just eat. So later, Carl found out the fat asshole was trying to marry Elena as well and showed her a ring that would be hers if she accepted. But Carl, trying not to get out dicked, he bought a bigger diamond and brought it to her. He put it on her hand next to her wedding ring. Here you are, darling. I give it to you with all my love. He's like, oh, this you that's do you think that's a diamond? He I'll did a one right, up. I'll be right back. Up. 
On October 11th, 1931, after a trip to the jewelers, probably paying off some of that, you know, some of that diamond money, mm-hmm. Elena's condition was sinking. Mm. And Carl was furious that her father had taken her for a walk. She was sick and weak and bedridden. But the father grabbed her. He's like, oh, like, like, like all our parents, like when you're sick, just, just, just walk it off. Just walk it off. You know, like the typical Mexican Spanish Spanish parents. Like I'm, like I'm pretty sure they gave her some Sprite, put you know, put some vapor up all on the chest, and like let's just walk around the park. But to her father, a little walk, some fresh air, a little car ride, was not something he could deny her daughter. And Carl understood, but told him she was really weak and needed to be careful. Then a few days later, the father took her out again for a ride. Then they came to a head and were both at each other's throat over who was right. So dad's like, look, if my daughter wants to go out, I'm going to fucking take her out. That's what she wants. What am I going to say no to my daughter who's sick? I'm not going to take her out, walk around and get some fresh air. But Carl was like, dude, she's sick. She, she's, she's, that's not getting her any better. What she needs to do is rest and get her energy. So they were both at odds. Like, they were both right. By Friday, October 23rd, Malena was in a very exhausted state, drifting in and out of consciousness, struggling to get a breath. Through it all, Carl still thought that radiation treatment could still help. I had hopes that, despite the extensive damage, the lesions would heal her again. I had hopes that, when Elena was out of danger, we would get married as long as she lived. I never abandoned help. So now, the death of Elena. Hmm. By October 20th, the people in town were getting ready for the Halloween parade on Duval Street. The change of weather made people feel refreshed, but for the Hoyos, the joy and the laughter was as fake as the costume the children were buying. Elena was close to death, and her friends and relatives knew that her end was coming any moment. Sunday, October 25th, 1931, I had just finished my records after the day's work, when Mario, the husband of one of, the, one of Elena's sisters, rushed in front of the lab door. Elena just died. Fuck. Mm. We raced through the town, and more than a block away, I could hear the people moan and scream. Hoping against hope that something could be done, I made everyone get out of the room. I tested her breath, her heartbeats, but there was nothing to be heard. There was no reaction. In that moment, Dr. Gailey, her other doctor, arrived. He too examined her to find that all life was gone. So Lena died. Finally died. Carl and Carl's grief quickly turned to anger. He berated Mario for not getting there sooner. Mario told Carl what had happened, and despite his many warnings, Elena's father had taken Lena on a ride downtown. Elena's jaws had dropped, but her eyes were bright and clear. They seemed to become deeper and deeper, and they drew Carl in. He could not look away. 
but he could look forever. Then he noticed that she had already been stripped of all the fine jewelry and clothing she had worn when he was around. He told the family that all her jewelry was gone. Her family stole all the jewelry he had bought for her off of her dead body. He would dress her in these expensive silk dresses. And they, when she died, they took the dress off of her and just put these raggedy rags on her. In his grief, Carl hated Elena's family because they didn't follow his instructions about rest and visitation. And he made sure that he paid for the whole funeral. At the funeral home, Carl selected the coffin, the flowers, and made the decisions required for the final deposition of his beloved. He berated a sobbing Nana into returning the silk dress and jewelry that she had stolen. During the fucking, at the funeral home, he went up to the grandma and was like, hey, bitch, you better give me my shit. <laughs> because he said Elena would be viewed in something finer than the dirty rags she was wearing when he found her. The next day on October 26th, the Key West citizen ran the obituary. You guys can go to our Instagram, The Weird History Retails Pod, if you just want to look at this obituary. From the funeral home, the body in the casket was returned to Elena's home, and the funeral was set for 5 p.m. that same day. Carl worked that whole day, and at 4, he closed the doors to his office and went to the surface. I blame Carl for her death. Carl? Yeah. What the fuck did Carl do? <laughs> Dude, he brought out the ice, so he made it freeze. What? Like ice, like the rain, like the... This mother. <laughs> oh my fucking god! I was literally thinking like he brought ice. I was like, what? She had, she didn't have a fever. <laughs> what the? So, fuck? so you so you think she froze to death? You bastard! Because of all the he made it freeze, bro. Like the P Diddy song. Oh my god! Said P Diddy, bro. We're sad. Are you bringing up P Diddy? You goddamn it! You stupid bitch! <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's do this. May I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go, go, go. Are you done? I'm done, I'm done. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> fucking doubt it. I have a feeling I fucking doubt it. <laughs> <coughs> Anywho. There was nobody in Elena's room. I took a seat near the coffin so I could drink in all her beauty for a last time. I sat lonely at Elena's side among the flowers during the last hour. The undertaker awoke me from my reveries. The funeral procession was about to begin and everybody had to take the seats in the cars waiting outside. At the very last moment when the coffin was about to be closed and everybody was out of the room, I took a letter from my breast pocket and put it under Elena's dress on her breast. I kissed her goodbye on the temple, which was the one place which had remained unkissed by all the others.
letter read, Elena, my darling Elena, my love for you is greater than ever. You are now free from all your fetters, and you are free to go where you wish. Elena, please come to me, sweetheart. I long so much for you. Tell me what shall I do, as I cannot live without you. Will you have me, darling? Then take me or you'll come to me and stay with me until I can with you. My sweetheart, Elena, your own Carl. It was only then I cried and cried from happiness, for now the long, sad, worldly struggle was all over. My bride was beyond malice, beyond happiness, beyond her pain. She was in the hands of God, the best, the gentlest hand that be. Fuck, I felt that. So above the hole that had been dug, the casket was suspended for yet under the eulogy. A monsoon of tears fell from Renton's eyes when the young and beautiful Elena was lowered into the ground. This then was what many, perhaps most people call, the end. A strange new kind of life now began for me. It was something like a rebirth after these last two oppressing and depressing years. Now at least nobody could take my Elena away from me. Although I could not see her any longer, I felt her presence all the time. It was only natural that I went daily to the cemetery. What disturbed me there was the fact that owing to the nature of the ground, hers was shallow grave and by no means safe from water. So, Carl, he took that promise he made to her that I'm going to take care of your body after death. So he realized when they buried her, it's a shallow grave. He's like, if it rains, the water's going to get to her body and it's going to decompose the living, it's going to decay the living shit out of her body. So Carl, he borrowed a tarp that he placed over the tomb. He arranged flowers and laid them on top of the gravesite. It was now time to move on with their lives, but Carl could not. People thought that him always visiting a grave and covering over the tarp was sad, but odd. But it was only the beginning. Carl then went to the family and told them that everything that belonged to Elena, everything he gave her, was to be given to him at once. They tried to lie to him and say we burned everything because of the tuberculosis, but he didn't believe them. He told them, if not, he would go over to the dealer's and change the name of the sales contracts and have them pay for the things they wanted to keep. 
from the rings and jewelry and dresses and all of that. If you guys want to keep that, that's fucking fine. But I'm going to go to the jewelry's office and I'm going to put everything under your name so you motherfuckers pay for it. Everything was brought to him that same day. And then he told them. (laughs) Fuck. No matter whether you move or stay, I'm going to live in my Elena's room where she has lived and died because I feel at home in her presence. To this they agreed, and from then on I slept in Elena's bed, where the smell of her hair still lived on. So even though it was weird as fuck that they ultimately let him stay in the room of Elena, and Elena dying didn't change the fact that they were still poor. And as poor as they were, they still needed the $5 a month in rent he promised he was going to pay them. After all their fighting, they relented and they were now satisfied that Carl was going to take care of Elena and were finally convinced of his undying love for her. Like, it took fucking Elena to die for them to be like, you know what? He wasn't He wasn't a bad guy. Like, fucking assholes. But back to Elena and her grave. The tarp he had placed covering Elena's tomb protected her from the rain, but this was only a temporary solution to the long term of a little something called fucking decay. Hmm. From the moment he first laid eyes on Lena, he had something to do for her. And now that she was dead and buried there, there was nothing else for except to worry about how to protect her. How could he care for her below the ground? In a moment of inspiration, he realized that it was his duty to erect a grand mausoleum to both a testament of his love and a way to remember Elena from the grave. An architectural monument to his Elena was Carl's next step. And that is where we'll end part one to our Carl Tanzler series. Does it show a picture like how she looked or like not, not, not like when she was alive, like when he tried to preserve her, like, Oh yeah. Oh, he wasn't here. We watched the documentary. I'll show you. I'll, I'll show you. There's yeah. documentaries on YouTube where, cause everything's filmed. Everything happened in the fifties. So there's the court dates, everything. There's the shows of him sitting in court and doing everything. The autopsies happen. They, cause they found her body in the, Oh no, no. They found him dead in the, in the early fifties. They found her body in the mid forties. Yeah, but there was still footage and stuff like that. Well, I'll show you after. Yeah, it was um, nineteen forty. Or, I mean, we'll talk about that later in further episodes. But, but yeah, that was the end of part Fuck. one. It's part one. Part one. Part two is where we start getting to the gross, ooey gooey shit. Yeah. So that's a fair warning to y'all. Episode one, I kept it clean. Episode two, all hands are off. All bets are off. So get ready for that one. That one's going to come next week as well on Friday. But, yeah, that's that's how that's how he, that's the story of why he fell in love with Elena, how he met Elena, and how Elena died. So you can see the perspective of the two different people's different lives. Elena, completely oblivious, she's just like, oh, I got sick. Old doctor, he loves me. I'm dead. But to Carl, it was a whole life. It was a whole life that led to that, that. led to him and Elena. Yeah. So, Renee, in the beginning of the episode, who are you signing with right now? Fuck, that one's 50-50. <laughs> no, yeah. 
you have to yeah you have to lean to one. Okay. No, I, it's the series is not right. done. No, yeah, but so. no, but that's why to see yeah. like where yeah. like where we're at right now. Okay, n- n- from from now like towards the end, like uh, now I'm on Josh's side a little bit. Like, okay. but so it's, lean- it's, it's 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 not completely on his side, but it's kind of like you lean toward him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, but to be fair, this does not do justice for his own words. That's why th- this is what really made me like, ah, oh, shit. Like, it's sympathy. It's like that yeah. poor bastard. You know, but it's, he, he tried it's a sad story. Life. He did. Yeah. He did. He tried. He tried his hardest. He was inventing shit. <laughs> he was making air out of electricity. Like this motherfucker was a mad genius. But um, the family though. <laughs> but do you blame them? Your daughter is dying. Imagine you. You have a daughter. She is dying. You take it to a doctor, and the doctor is telling her, "I met you before you were born. You're meant to be my. You're meant to be my wife." Please marry me. Yeah. I will fix you. Marry me. You'd be like, what the fuck, you? Let me take, let me take my daughter somewhere else. <laughs> That's what happened. It's sad. It's sad. It's, it's a one way street. No, but I, I was saying, like towards the end, when she was already like, like really, really sick. Like, that still doesn't. I still didn't change the fact that it was. That's that's what was going on. I mean, they could have. But it, wouldn't you take it? Like, all right, like this guy looks like he's trying to do something for her. Like nothing. What the other doctor is doing is helping. Well, I mean. Kinda, but, but then when it comes to creepiness, people are going to be like, "That's what they're mm-hmm. going to remember." Not the fact he was helping, the yeah, fact yeah, that he true. was weird. And back then, tuberc- that's going to overshadow all that shit. And back then, tuberculosis was basically a death sentence. Yeah. So the fact that he's still adamant, like, "I can fix you, I can fix you," you're like, "Uh, yeah, leave my daughter alone." She was young. I understand that, but like, he was willing to take her to another hospital, like another doctor. I know, but like, that's the thing. She was gonna die regardless. So why is he doing like she's he, like? There's still that creepiness where he's like she's he's trying too hard to do something that he's not unable to do. But but I'm pretty sure that there's cases where like back, back then, then nah, like tuberculosis. Like I'm pretty sure there was like slight chance. There wasn't, yeah, especially hers. Hers was called the hasty de- decay, which you catch it, you die immediately. And after everything he was doing for her, that's why she, and that's why she lasted so long. It was two years. Two years from the first meeting to where she died. It was two years that he would go to her house. It was a pretty long battle with tuberculosis. Yeah, and I mean, fucking sucked that it wasn't toward, uh, towards the end for Elena where she kind of accepted it. The love. The love between yeah, but, him and... Well, she accepted the fact that he was in love with her. I don't think never... Yeah. I don't think she ever loved him. I don't think she yeah. ever felt anything for him. I thought she was just like, "Oh, here's this poor old man who's trying to help me." Yeah, I never, I never, never like, I still, I never thought that she had any, that she reciprocated any feelings for her. How crazy would it be? <laughs> is that that apparition, that spirit, was was her going back, finally back. accepting and realizing the love he had for her? What spirit? The like visit the, when she was when first she, visit Carl, mm-hmm. I'm just saying. So she died not knowing the true love that he had for her when she was alive. And now she died. She became that spirit, and then somehow went back in time in time to show the story of how he felt for. Her. Yeah, like she. <laughs> like found, how crazy would that would be? Yeah, you know, like I'm, she I'm found the DeLorean, <laughs> went back in time. She found the DeLorean, <laughs> and was like, you know what's the? Fuck? I feel your pain. You know what's the most fucked apart? 
That's not the most ridiculous shit he said. That, that wasn't the most ridiculous shit he said in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Ghost Riding DeLoreans. God damn it. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. But it's possible. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. <coughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Um, this 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 episode is full of love. Next episode is gonna be really gory and macabre because that's what we're talking about. In that's detail. where he gets into detail about him cleaning the body, and we're gonna hear we're gonna hear in his own words how he felt the first time, and finding the first time he had sex with her. Oh. <laughs> so again, um. If you guys could do us a favor, you guys want to look at all these pictures, go to our Instagram, The Weird History, Ewing Tales Pod. If you guys want to do yourselves a favor and want to read in more into the book, because believe it or not, it's a long-ass episode, but we're paraphrasing. There's a lot of things I'm not talking about, because I'm just trying to give you the direct story. I'm not trying to, you know, go off in different branches. So there's a lot of things that I'm not talking that I'm not talking about that you could read for yourself with uh, one of the books Ben Harrison Ben Ben Harrison Ben Harrison Undying Love and that book actually has nine pictures that they that he found and that he photographed onto the book and you can see Elena with her husband Luis that motherfucker you can see Elena when she was younger you can see the mausoleum you can see her 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 tombstone you can see Cuba. You could see her open casket when she was dead. You could see the airplane he lived on. You could see the little shack. You could see it's just cool little pictures if you guys want to check out that book. And then my brother has the other book. The other book of his version of the whole story. The Lost Diary of Count Von Kossel. The True Twisted Tale of Love After Death. Introduced by David L. Sloan. And you can get both of these books. I got them on Amazon. They're both 10 bucks. 15 bucks, I think. Check out the show notes. Uh, there's the link there for you. Um, if you guys could do us a favor, rate and review us. That makes the show grow, as always. Uh, again, we have a month. We only have a month left before we're completely off of Google Play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we're all, all our Android users, if you guys have Spotify, we're on Spotify. You can find us on Spotify. Spotify is free. You don't have to. You don't need a premium account. You just go to Spotify and you can just add us. Looks up. Looks up. And one of the things that I'm gonna start doing is if you guys do add us on Spotify and you guys are new to the show, I'm gonna have different playlists of our episodes. These are playlists of all the episodes we talk about monsters, you know, the ghosts. You know, I'm gonna start building playlists like that. And um, Renee, he he's he's an Android user. Is it easier to listen? To, is it better oh, Spotify, to listen? Yeah. To Spotify? It's easier, right? Yeah, it's, and it, look, it looks cooler because it's all black and shit. And you get notifications when oh, yeah. the episode is open. Yeah, because you wouldn't get notifications with yeah. the, with Google. No, no. Same. Oh, or like I would get them, late. but late. Yeah. yeah, it was late. Late as fuck. Like he'll tell me like, oh, I, I uploaded it like three days ago. And it's like, fuck, I just got it now. Yeah. So again, add us on uh, Instagram, Weird History, Airtel's Pod. And comment Josh or Mo, Moses or whichever side you're on. Oh yeah, go go to the picture. The picture we posted of Carl to see whose side are you? Who, where, whose side of the fence are you on? Do you are think you, he's romantic or do you think no, he's just creepy? No, I mean, there it's both. But like, there's the thing though. Like, I can see my brother's point of view where it's like, what he did was fucked up. That is undeniable. But the fact that it wasn't as black and gray as I'm making it seem, black and white as I'm making it seem. There is some gray area where it's like he did it because he was in like in love with like do you under like 
the whole argument, not the whole argument, but the whole thing is, do you understand what led him to go to the lengths he did for Atlanta? For Atlanta. I'm just saying, this dude was just a crazy motherfucker that went too far. My brother's like, yes, he did it. But there was a, re- there was a good kind of romantic reason for why he did what he did, even though what he did ended up being fucked up, but not in a fucked up way. Yeah, he fucked a dead body, but he didn't fuck the dead body because he was like just a horny piece of shit. He didn't dig out Elena's body just because he wanted to be a motherfucker. He loved her. He's like, and we're going to find out in episode two that she would talk to him. He would have conversations with Elena in the tomb. She would talk to him and he would talk to her. But that's more more of that on the next week. So, Renee, thank you again for joining us. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you had fun. Yes, sir. Uh, today's what, Tuesday? Yeah, it's, it's Tuesday. It's, it's one o'clock Tuesday, in the morning, and we all work. And we all work and go to school in a few hours. Uh, I gotta get up in four I hours. Technically, it's Wednesday, right? I fucking love it. Yeah, Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Wednesday. It's Wednesday at one in the morning. It's just gonna go out um, Valentine's Day. So again, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, wear a rubber. Uh, don't fuck your. Don't fuck a dead body, please. Yeah, don't, don't, don't. It's don't. big no, it's big no. And um, disclaimer. And this is, we. This <laughs> is not proof. We the the weird history. Utah's podcast does not condone or approve any necrophilia. So again, Renee, thank you for joining us. Uh, Achi will not be with us for this three-part series. Renee will hopefully be taking a spot. Yes. Hopefully, he won't come up with more Delorean bullshit. Achi, so stupid ass. You can tell we miss you already with this fucking dumbass. But enjoy being an adult. And as always, guys, remember we are the weird history. Retail spot.